I used the example this morning of judging a book by the cover because there is a parable that we are going to look at this morning. I think that kind of speaks to that very example. As you know, we've been working our way through Luke following the Revised Common Lectionary, and Jesus has been teaching parables. He's been teaching in such a way that he's illuminating the scriptures in his word so that people may internalize them and learn and grow from that encouragement. Today, before I go to the scriptures, I want to tell you it's a parable uh, many of you I know know. Uh, It's the Pharisees and the tax collector, uh, often referred to in scripture, especially if you read the King James Version, as the publican. So this parable is often known as the Pharisees and the publican. And according to this parable, they both go to pray, but they pray very differently. Uh, One walks away absolutely justified, and the other walks away not justified. But it's very interesting the way that Jesus uses this parable. And to understand it, you've got to know a little bit about the Pharisees and a little bit about the tax collector. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were leaders of the law. They were lawyers in some sense. They knew the Hebraic law, meaning the Old Testament, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of our Bible, like the back of their hands. They were extremely educated. They were wealthy and well-dressed. They were looked up to by many in the community. And it was encouraged for children to study hard so one day they may be like the Pharisees. Contrast that, so when accepted and looked up to in society, to the tax collector, the, the publican, And when I say this, I want to emphasize, I am not talking about tax collectors in our day, like someone that would work for the IRS. Someone that works for the IRS, though though we may not want to talk to them necessarily, they're not necessarily wicked. They get paid a salary, and all they're doing is enforcing tax law. But in Jesus' day, you see, it was much different because the taxes were be taken up by the Romans. And rather than the Romans doing the dirty work, they would hire Jewish people. They would make them tax collectors, publicans. And they were despised by their community because they were seen as traitors. I mean, after all, you've got to remember, the Roman army, the Senate, has come and captured by force and is oppressing the Jewish nation. So if you were seen as one who represented the Roman oppressors, you were despised. You were literally considered to be a traitor to your people. On top of that, the way that they made their living, and many of them were extremely rich, but how they did it, the Romans would say, here's the bare minimum taxes that you are required to collect from every individual. And it would vary on on wealth and base and property and those type of things. But how they made their living is they would bump up that percentage by whatever means they thought they deserved. So they literally were robbing an oppressed people. They were despised. And because they worked so closely hand in hand with the Romans, they were considered ritualistically unclean. 
That means they weren't accepted in society, not accepted in the temple, not accepted in the community of worship when the people would gather for prayer, for sacrifice and services. It's an extreme contrast, but in this parable, Jesus flips the script, just like he often does. Let us hear now the word of God found in the gospel according to Luke chapter 18, beginning there with verse 9. He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all of my income. But the tax collector stood far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love this parable. I love this parable because Jesus does flip the script. He takes the one that feels like they are righteous, that they are worthy. He takes the one that takes such pride that when he prays, he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these other sinners. Not like these rogues, these adulterers, these thieves. Not even like that tax collector. You see, the problem with the Pharisee's prayer is it's a prayer of pride. It's a prayer of prejudice. Go in there and circle how many times in that prayer the Pharisee uses the word I. And he does not use it in a humble manner, but in a boastful manner. He lifts himself up. As the scripture says, he exalts himself. But he who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. From a society perspective, that Pharisee had everything going for him. He lived in the right area code. He had the right position, the right degree. He had the right clothes. People would admire him. People would come to him when they needed advice. People would lift him up as a good example in society. Now contrast that in your minds, if you will, to the simple prayer of the Republican or the publican. The simple prayer of a tax collector. Notice the difference. He stood at a distance. 
He did not even feel worthy to look up to heaven. His prayer is a prayer of meekness, of humility, and of repentance. He knows his sins better than anybody else. He knows that he is judged and despised by others in his society. He knows that he's not welcome in their homes, in their temples. He wouldn't dare show himself in a celebration because he would not want to dishonor those that would welcome him. Think of it, standing at a distance. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It reminds me of the prayer that I prayed that I lifted up to you last week, the Jesus prayer. Google it if you don't know it. But it's almost identical to the prayer of the publican, of the tax collector. It's Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. You see, far too often in our society, we like to put our value on what we have or what we can do, the initials that become before our name or the initials that come after our name. We like to put our value in what we're capable of. But the publican, he knows that outside of the mercy of Jesus Christ, outside of the acceptance and love and the forgiveness of God, that he is forever lost. So Jesus very simply says, I tell you that one of these two went home justified. The interesting thing in the original language of justification as we've been studying in our Bible studies on Wednesday night in Romans, when we are justified by grace, it means God makes us. He imputes to us the righteousness of God. Justification means literally just as if we had not sinned. And that is a gift from God and God alone. We cannot get there on our own. We cannot deserve God's mercy and grace. But yet, somehow or another, in the compassionate and steadfast love of God, God says, if you humble yourself before me, if you repent of your wicked ways, and if you allow God to, he will not only justify you, but he will glorify you. He will sanctify you. It's always blown my mind, folks. We all know what it's like to think that it's our ability. But for all of us that have ever thought that, we have probably also learned somewhere along our paths that we are not able, but he is able. We are not righteous but he is righteous. We don't always love others the way that we should, and that's key 
for this parable. You see, the greatest fault of the Pharisee is he was not praying for his brothers or sisters as we are taught to do in our Lord's Prayer. He is not praying for the kingdom of God, but he is boasting before God and saying, look, Lord, I am thankful that I'm not like these other sinners. Therefore, not only am I fasting once a year as the law required, I fast twice a week. I don't only tithe on the money I have as income, but I tithe the 10% on everything I have. You see, the problem is he's following the letter of the law and has lost the spirit of the law. He's following what man has commanded rather than what God has written upon his heart. There's a difference, and it's absolutely crucial that we, his people, begin to get a grasp that it's not about us, but it's about the one who is, who was, and who always will be. As long as I live, I'll never forget the words of this beautiful song that so many of us know and love. In the 18th century, John Newton wrote a song entitled Amazing Grace. Now, the most amazing thing about John Newton writing this song, as you have to understand, before he got to a place that he was open to God's salvation, he worked as a ship captain, but not just a captain of a regular ship. He was the ship captain of a slavery ship. He would go to Africa and pick up slaves, imprison them in the body of the ship, of which a large percentage perished and died along the journey. And when they finally hit the land, whether it was here or somewhere in the UK or other parts of the world, they were beaten, tortured, and sold into slavery. So this man knows what it means to see the bottom, the bottom, the bottom of the run. But somewhere in his life, God reached out to him in such a way and saved him and impacted his life that he was able to write Amazing Grace. Just think of these words. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind but now I see. You see, it's God's grace, it's God's mercy that moves in such a way that for those who have eyes, they may see. And for those who have ears, they may hear. For God is incredible and his grace is amazing. If we would simply humble ourselves before God and allow him to become Lord and saviors of our lives. He's able to do things that we can't even begin to comprehend. Not to our glory, but the glory of our Lord and Savior. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we close out our worship, I would just remind you this morning that His altar is open. If there's anything at all that is weighing heavy upon your heart or your souls, do not leave here with that weight, but humble yourselves. Seek his forgiveness and his mercy and allow him to pour out his love into you 
in such a way that you'll never be the same again in Jesus' name.